Hello and welcome to the Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining and let's get started. So with Travis being here, I've had some time to do some stuff I hadn't been able to do. And uh, <clears throat> I like, I don't see much with the kids because I just have other things going on. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago on uh, Saturday, I got to go caving with the high schoolers. And I've, I've been caving since I was in about the third grade. I've got all the gear and all that stuff. So I can, I can go. I love doing it. And I've been in caves in a half dozen different countries. But I got to tell you, some of you, you think your kids... You think your your high schoolers maybe aren't made of the stuff you were made of? I got news for you. Those kids are fearless. And uh, we had them crawling into places in the caves where literally this this was your space clearance for 30 feet. And they were going all the way in and exploring. And they were gone for like a half hour, 40 minutes at times, you know. And... Uh, the girls were going in there too. Now, <clears throat> having said all that, I commend you on how you have raised those kids. Their behavior was stellar. They were they were extremely good bunch of kids. I'm not totally sure the boys would have done it if the girls weren't watching. <laughs> and I'm fairly certain the girls wouldn't have done it if the boys weren't already in there. So, But uh, man, we had such a good time with that. And uh, your kids did well. And then Friday night, I I helped, uh, <clears throat> helped Maynard with a uh, class. She's got the tweeners. And so we had 15 or so of these tweeners. And I'll tell you what, I had this horrible epiphany of just how old I am <laughs> when I'm standing there and I'm talking to Grant Rice. And I realized it was Grant Rice. Because when I think of Grant Rice, I'm still thinking of this little kid in plastic pants. And he's like this genius, this tall. This kid's going to be an engineer. But man, what a great group of kids. So those of you got the, the fifth and sixth graders in that group that are, you're raising them, you're doing good. Keep doing whatever you're doing. Uh, they'll get a little bit older, beat them a little more regular. But <clears throat> they, they were good kids and they were a lot of fun. So a couple classes or a couple events coming up. I don't want to make sure I mention to you. The Way of Agape class is coming up mid-September, and it's going to be on Sunday afternoons. And uh, it'll actually meet down in that end of this room after church on Sundays at noon. Some of you are struggling with stuff you can't forget. You're having trouble forgiving or you're having trouble forgetting or at least getting past what you can't forget. This class has got your name on it. And it is a solid class. And if you'll get into that class and you'll work with it, I promise you your life will be better. I promise you your sleep will be better. I promise you your relationship with everyone will be better. So that's coming up. It's called the Way of Agape. And we do have one fun class. Uh, not that that one isn't fun. Um, we have one event coming up that's a blast, and it's called Pepsi and Picasso. There's a fee for it, and, um, but it includes supper. And it is an art class, and you're going to get to do paintings in that class with a bunch of other people that you're going to learn don't paint as well as you thought everyone else did, but 
it's a good class, and it'll just be fun to get together, and you'll actually learn a little bit about painting, but it's a one-time event, so you can sign up for that too, and there's a sign-up sheet back there. All right, let's dive in the lesson. Pull out your notes. Have you ever found yourself doing something <clears throat> where you have told yourself, I'm not going to do this again, and you find yourself doing it again? And you are so disgusted with yourself, you walk away from it thinking, I am never doing that again. Oh, I hate myself. I hate this. I'm never going to do this again. And a few days pass, and you find yourself doing it again. So we have this cycle we get into, and it's this endless loop. It's actually a downward spiral if you do it long enough. And you get caught in your notes there. You'll see it. You have these good intentions. I'm not going to do this again. I'm never going to do that again. I hate myself for doing that. I hate doing that. I'm not going to do that. And then you fail. You do it. And then you have guilt. Then you have shame. And then you're motivated. I'm never going to do this again. So you have good intentions. And then once again, it goes on. And you just keep repeating this cycle over and over and over again. If you've done that, then you're probably going to understand what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7. The Apostle Paul, who was miraculously called by Jesus to follow him, the Apostle Paul, who wrote one-third of the New Testament, and this is part of his testimony. Watch this, Romans 7. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. Anybody else relate to that? Oh, man. So let's talk about these stubborn, persistent temptations that we have to deal with. Um, these, some of them are lifelong, but they drag us down. And eventually, if they drag us down long enough, they start being normal and we start making defenses of them. And we don't ever want to get to that point. So let's talk about these things we have to deal with. Introduction. Temptation is not the sin, it's the warning. You know how you got those lights in the car? Some of you probably are not aware of this, but on your dash are a series of little lights. <laughs> and they're cute. Some of them are pretty. They're different colors. And they come on. They're not decorations. Your mechanic calls them idiot lights. Because only an idiot waits till they come on to have their car serviced. <laughs> All right? So those little lights that come on are telling you there is a problem you need to deal with right now. When you experience temptation, that is kind of an idiot light. That's a red flag in your life saying, something's wrong here. We need to deal with this. We've got something we've got to take care of. Let's get ready to take care of this. But there's a big misunderstanding among evangelical Christians, especially Christians in America, and that is we think that temptation is a sin. Listen, temptation is not a sin. Giving in to temptation is the sin. It's important that you understand that it's not a sin to be tempted. Most people think they have failed if they're tempted. Now, if you're tempted, you've just proven that you're a human being. That's all, right? It's the sin is when we give in. Now watch Hebrews chapter 4. We need to hold on to our declaration of faith. We have 
a superior chief priest. So in Judaism, the chief priest was the person who stood between the people and God. The chief priest was the one that made the sacrifices on behalf of everyone. Jesus, when he completed Judaism, became our chief priest. He became not just the priest, but the sacrifice as well. So we need to hold on to our declaration of faith. We have a superior chief priest who has gone through the heavens. That person is Jesus, the Son of God. We have a chief priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He was, circle this word, he was what? Tempted. He was tempted in how many different ways? Every way that we are. So every temptation you experience, Jesus had at some point. Isn't that interesting? You go, well, I don't know, man. Some of my temptations are pretty bad. I can just tell you what scripture says. Jesus at some level experienced that temptation. Now watch the last phrase on there. But he, what? He didn't sin. So we know Jesus was sinless, but he was tempted. So that clarifies that temptation is not the sin. It's the yielding to the temptation. Now James chapter 1 verse 14 but each person is tempted. Now here's the path. When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire when it conceived, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. So temptation is the warning sign that you and I are in danger, and when we experience that danger, that tells us we need to take action. That tells us we need to act. Now, the Bible tells us there's five things we can do to defeat temptation. All right, number one, I must map my pattern of temptation. We're all creatures of habit. We're all creatures of habit. If we saw what you do when you get up in the morning on one day, we saw what you do every day when you get up. We all go through the same process every morning. Every day is spent mostly the same way. We all have habits. We all have patterns. And temptation also has the same pattern. It just doesn't change. It's going to be the same all the way through for you. Now, here's another translation of James that lays this out a little more clearly. This is from the New Jerusalem Bible. Everyone is put to the test by being attracted and seduced by that person's own wrong desire. Then the desire conceives and gives birth to sin. And when sin reaches full growth, it gives birth to death. So all of us have unique patterns in our life. And what's interesting about those patterns is what tempts you may not tempt me. What tempts me may not tempt you. It's just going to be different. Doesn't mean it's going to be massively different, but there are just going to be some things that are going to be different. I can tell you right now, if, let's say we go for coffee and you decide you're going to get a caramel macchiato and you're going to put that on the table in front of me and leave it there and you tell me don't touch it, can I just confess to you that thing will mold in that cup. I don't drink caramel macchiatos. All right? Now, you set a hot mocha in front of me, you best not blink. Because I'm going to have temptation the whole time it's there. 
because that's my drink right there. So things that tempt you may not tempt me. Things that tempt me may not tempt you. So what we need to do is we need to figure out what the pattern of temptation is in our lives. Let me give you some things. There's some questions you can ask to start nailing this down. All right. For example, A, when am I most tempted? When am I most tempted? Am I most tempted on Monday? Am I most tempted on Friday? Am I most tempted uh, on Saturday? Am I tempted to be irresponsible on a particular night of the week? Am I most tempted around people when I'm around people? Am I most tempted when I'm by myself? What time of day is it when I am tempted? All right? You need to figure that out because it's going to be consistent. Trust me. B, where am I most tempted? Is it at work? Is it in the car? Is it in the kitchen? Is it around some event? Is it in front of the computer? Where, where am I most tempted? If I know when it is and where it is, I can start setting up some protective, some protective boundaries. C, who is with me when I'm most tempted? Some people are most tempted when they're by themselves. Others are tempted when they are with that particular person. <laughs> right? D, what temporary benefits do I get when I give in? So, listen, there's always a temporary payoff for giving in a temptation. There's always something about it. It's the reason we do it, right? If it was bad, we wouldn't do it. So I go through a lot of the training that my, as a, as a police chaplain, I go through a lot of the trainings that my officers go through. I've been tased. I've been pepper sprayed. Um, I have been hit with less than lethal munitions. I did get to wear armor for that. And I just want you to know, that still smarts. It does. You, there's no question. You've just been hit by something moving at, you know, 800 feet per second. Um, I have been thrown on the ground. I've been handcuffed. I've been all that stuff. Uh, the pepper spray was probably the worst of all of it. Though I was surprised I didn't wet myself during the tasing. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm always amazed when I see a video of someone who's been tased and their pants are dry. That's almost miraculous. That's like right up there with the virgin birth almost, if they, they can pull that off. I mean, that's pretty amazing. See, if sin was like pepper spray, we wouldn't do it, <laughs> right? But it's not. There's a payoff. There's something there that's pleasurable. Look at Hebrews 11.25. There is pleasure in sin. Okay, then there's a caveat for a short time. It's only temporary. And the problem with temptation is that giving into it can provide a temporary gratification, but it also brings with it often unpredictable, but always inescapable long-term consequence. So we forgot, we got to figure out, why do I do this? What am I after when I do this? What am I after? E, how do I feel right before I'm tempted? How do I feel right before I'm tempted? Temptation always brings with it some form of emotion. Emotion and temptation just go hand in hand. What are my emotional triggers? What is going to happen? What, what's the emotion that's going to get triggered that's going to make me feel temptation? I mean, do I get 
tempted, when I'm frustrated, when I feel out of control, when I feel insecure, when I'm feeling lonely, when I'm feeling loved, when I'm fatigued, when I'm bored. How do I feel right before I get tempted? Start paying attention to it and you'll figure it out pretty quick. All right, now, number two, I need to protect the condition of my heart. I need to protect the condition of my heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do, because most of your decisions are emotionally driven. You let your emotions get out of whack, you're going to get driven into some crazy stuff. But if you want to make a lasting change, if you want to defeat this persistent temptation in your life, it starts by making some choices inside of you. You don't focus on the behavior. And honestly, ultimately, we don't focus on the emotion. We focus on what's behind the emotion, what's causing the emotion, because it always starts inside. Now, I'm not going to lie. I've been locked out of Facebook for three weeks. So if you have messaged me on Facebook, I'm not snubbing you. I'm just not seeing your messages. And I got to tell you, after three weeks, I kind of don't care anymore. Um, I'm enjoying not being on Facebook. But uh, I did not post something bad. I, I did not. I, I was changing my, they, they Facebook phased out my dual authentication my dual authentication feature, and I was switching to a new one, and I'm on a VPN that switches what country I'm logged into Facebook from, and it switched countries in the middle of my doing the dual authentication, and it read that as a hack. So I left, I completely left Africa out of the rotation, but apparently it got me anyhow. Um, so anyhow, so I've been locked out, and I can't get back in. So I don't know if I'm coming back or not. But I know from when I was on Facebook, a lot of you like to take quizzes. You like to figure out what kind of potato am I, you know? <laughs> and so you're, and you're taking IQ tests. Listen, can I tell you, if you take an IQ test on Facebook, it's already pretty low. <laughs> All right? Don't go any lower. It's like you're already in trouble. All right, so since I know so many of you like the test, I made a test for you. So you know how to do it. In your notes there, some questions that we need to answer. All right, you're going to mark four if you're all the way to those words on the right. You're going to mark zero if you're all the way to the words. The first one's about your physical condition. Am I physically exhausted or am I energetic and in shape? If you're physically exhausted, zero. If you're energetic and in shape, four. Are those in your notes? Okay. All right, Lauren. Come on, Lauren. Get up. Give it. Somebody help Lauren. Okay. <laughs> I'm going, wait, what's going on? Lauren's having trouble. <laughs> Lauren, don't take an IQ test on Facebook. Okay, so. <laughs> or you're going to be somewhere between zero and four. All right. Emotionally. Yes. It's an insert. Okay. Thank you, Greg. Greg is my lovely assistant. All right. Am I discouraged about my life and pessimistic about my future? All right. If you're discouraged, pessimistic, if you're trying to decide if you want to jump off the 74 bridge or the Centennial Bridge, you go zero. You know, if, if, if you're Greg Ashby, you mark a four. 
because you're encouraged and optimistic. <laughs> All right. How about mentally? Am I bored or discontented with my life, my job, my relationships? Rate yourself there. How about spiritually? How am I doing spiritually? Dry and empty or spiritually growing? How geographically distant am I from those I love? Am I near them or am I out by myself? Am I insecure and unsure about how I feel about me? Zero through four. Mark your level there. Do I feel more loved and understood? If not, if I'm wounded, I'm hurt, or I'm feeling loved and understood. How do I feel about those who have offended me? Like my pastor who just told me not to take quizzes on my intellect. You're going to mark a four on that one because <laughs> you're going to forgive your pastor quickly. All right. On the happy-sad continuum, do I tend to be more sad or more happy most of the time? Mark that. All right. How emotionally close are you to your friends? How do I feel about those around me? Alienated, supported, close, unsupported, or close and supported? Now, add up your points. There's 10 questions. If you mark fours on all of them, that's 40. You'll see the pattern develop. If you mark zeros on all of them, that's zero. So add that up. Write your score in your box there. So if you, <laughs> I won, <laughs> Kristen won. If you scored 35 to 40, you're in pretty good shape. However, be careful because pride appears right before you score zeros, right? Yeah, so be careful because feeling secure brings with it their own temptations. If you scored 25 to 35, you're probably more vulnerable to temptation than you realize or want to admit. If you scored 15 to 25, you got a fall coming. You got a big event coming somewhere. You got to be really careful. You, you need to make some adjustments. If you scored 15 or less, you're going into a crisis. You're in crisis. You need to come talk to some of us. Come, talk, come find Greg. Come find me. Come find Travis after he's better. Unless you want time off from work, go talk to him today. Um, but we need to get you into, have, we need to get you into a Christian counselor. We need to get you into some kind of a support system because you need help getting through this time. The last question you've got to ask as you look at that score is how long have I been at this level? Because the longer you've been at that level, the harder it's going to be to get moving on. The more vulnerable you become. You say, well, well okay, so that was stupid. Why did we figure that out? Why did we just do that test? We do that test because we need to look and determine whether or not you're on solid ground and whether or not it's likely Satan has already developed a foothold in your life. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Do not give the devil a foothold. What is a foothold? So everybody's seen videos of like D-Day in the invasion at Normandy when the Allied troops went ashore at Normandy. And they would run a boat full of soldiers ahead and spread them out on the beach, and they would dig in, and they would follow it with more. And those soldiers, they weren't trying to conquer all of France at that point. They're just trying to conquer that piece of ground. And when they get that secured, when they get that fortified, then they push forward, and they just keep resupplying and taking a little bit of ground at a time until eventually they were able to take back all of Europe. 
Listen, Satan wants to establish that beachhead, a foothold in your life. And he wants to establish it because he is going to aggressively get a little bit more ground in your life every time he has that opportunity. What's the number one foothold he gets in your life? Can I tell you, it's almost always emotional. It's any negative emotion. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. I'm spiritually dry. I'm wounded. I'm insecure. When you let two or three of those emotions gang up on you together, you're frustrated, you're depressed, you're not sure what to do next, that's a powerful combination. That's a powerful combination that is setting you up for temptation. Let's say you're worried and you're hurt. So what happens is Satan starts whispering to you, as he takes a little square inch in your, your property there, he says, you know what? You've been miserable. Things are really bad. You deserve a little bit of pleasure. It's okay. Have the drink. It'll be fine. Nobody will know. You deserve a little bit. of All this bad stuff coming, all this bad stuff in your life, who's going to blame you for just, just a little indulgence? It'll be our secret. And what Satan doesn't tell you is that it's only going to make it worse in the long run. It seems like nothing now, but it's going to get bigger as it goes. Now, number three, I need to pray for God's help. You might be thinking, I have prayed and it did not help. Prayer's not the only thing you need to do to overcome temptation, but it is something you must do. Prayer will give you the strength to do the other things we're talking about. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. This is Jesus speaking. Watch what he says. Keep alert and what? Pray. So he says, pay attention, be aware of what's going on around you, and pray. If you don't do those things, what happens? Temptation will overpower you. So he says, so you've got to watch what's going on. Keep track of what's happening around you. Figure out what your triggers are. Or temptation's going to get you down. See, if you don't pray, you don't have any strength. You don't have any protection against temptation. You have to make prayer part of your life. Psalm 50, verse 15. God says, call to me, which by the way is what? Prayer. Call to me. When trouble comes, I will save you. By the way, so you get this. Prayer, we have this idea in our heads that praying is like this. You can pray while you're driving. You can pray while you're sitting in here. You can pray while you're mowing. God can hear you over the cheap mower you have. All right, your neighbors, they don't like it, but doesn't bother God. Yeah, you pray all the time, start a running conversation, and you tell God, this is what I need, this is what I'm feeling, this is where I'm at, help me with this. And he says, when trouble comes, I'll be there. Man, the Bible's filled of examples of people who prayed when they were in trouble, and God 
came to their rescue. David, Daniel, Peter, Paul. Many names that are sitting in this room right now have also experienced that. They were in trouble and they called out. Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the, circle that word, same temptations we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to our gracious God, that's, that's prayer, there we will receive his mercy and grace to help us when we need it. Get this, Jesus faced the same temptations we have. The same temptations. Okay, I get it. So you're thinking, okay, so you're telling me that Jesus, if he had the same temptations, he literally had to stop. He had to resist from leaning over and slapping the stupid out of his friends. Have you not read about Peter? Or James and John? <laughs> You're saying, you mean Jesus felt the temptation to have a sense of self-pity about his own life? He did it in a big prayer. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't really want to be beaten, tortured. I don't really want to be skinned alive and then nailed to a cross. I don't want to be spit on. I don't want to have my hair torn out of my head. In fact, let's find an option B. How about that? But it's not what I'm after. It's what you're after. I'll do it if that's what you really want me to do. Yeah, he faced the same temptations we face with everything. The difference is, he chose not to give in to the temptation. He chose not to sin. So that means we have a high priest who can not only be sympathetic, but he can give us the power to overcome the temptation in our lives. All right, now number four. I need to focus my attention elsewhere. I need to focus my attention elsewhere. All right, James 1.14 again. Temptation is the pull of your own evil thoughts and wishes. These thoughts lead to evil actions. All right, so several years ago, we, we've always had golden retrievers at our house. Um, we had three kids and golden retrievers. We were the quintessential American family. And um, after the last golden died, we decided to do a rescue dog. So we adopted this little rescue dog that... Uh, the mom was a collie shepherd mix, and the dad was a lab who got over the fence. All right, there were eight puppies, only two of them lived. We got one of them, and this is the weirdest looking dog ever because at a distance you go, oh, look, they have a lab. And you get up close, you go, wait, that looks like a German shepherd, but the legs are all about this short. <laughs> so it looks like it's sweeping the ground with its chest all the time. It's the dumbest looking dog ever. However, it's the most honest dog we've ever had. When you look at that dog and you're interacting with that dog, you know what that dog is thinking because the nose points toward whatever the dog is thinking. If you're sitting there holding the dog and talking to it, the nose keeps going over toward the door to go outside. 
Or if you're eating and your plate's over here, the dog's nose is like this the whole time. And whatever the dog wants to do, it shows up. That dog's never had a thought that didn't show up in its body language. Listen, you can see what that dog is giving its attention to. And the reality is you can see what you're giving your attention to. What's your spiritual noise, nose pointing at? Because you're always looking at the thing you're giving attention to. And temptation, temptation grows when we focus on it, when we give it our attention. If you're going to overcome temptation, you've got to learn to change the direction of your nose. <laughs> you've got to learn to refocus to something else. You point your attention in a different direction away from whatever's getting your attention, you give your attention to something else. Now, temptation always follows a predictable process. It goes like this in the box there in your notes. Three stages of temptation. The first stage is attention. Something has to attract your nose before you focus on it. <laughs> That's the temptation. Then you point your nose at it. You're, you're, you're already telegraphing what's on your mind. What are you thinking about? It may come in the form of a thought, may come in the form of something you saw, but it gets your attention and you want to point your nose toward it. The second stage is arousal. Arousal. That's when the emotions kick in. And if you're a little 45-pound black dog at my house, you start to drool. Or your front feet start going like this. All right? There, you get that little dancing thing going on. Because what's happening is you are, you've decided, I think I would really like that. And the third stage is action. Boom. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to pull against God's leash. That's what I'm going to do. And you act on it. See, this is why the Apostle Paul warned the, 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 Cor the Corinthians, a group of believers who, by the way, seriously struggled with their behaviors. If you want to read about people who have no self-control, read the Corinthian letters. Because those letters are all about self-control. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul tells them, we capture every thought. In other words, we take responsibilities for our thought and we refocus them. We tell our thoughts what they're going to do. We don't let them tell us what we're going to do. We make, their, we make our thoughts obey Christ. Now, I'm not going to lie. That's not easy to do. Your first time you do it, that's a tough one. That is tough. And it takes a lot of practice to do it. You have to practice it. If you've been thinking in error for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, Keep going, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, or however old Lisa is. It's not easy to, I've given her a pass since before COVID, so I think we're done. COVID's over. All right. It's not easy, but it is possible to reprogram your thoughts with the help of Jesus and put them in more positive, beneficial ways rather than self-destructive ways. You say, wait a minute, how in the world do I take control of my thoughts? Romans 12, 21, watch this. First thing, you got to make a choice. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. In other words, you turn your thoughts from that which is evil to that which is good. Philippians 4, 8. Friends, think of it this way. Whatever is true, whatever honors God, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything is worthy of praise, keep your nose pointed at those things. He says, change your focus. When you've learned to keep that focus, then you will finally know God's peace because you'll already know temptation isn't going to rule my life. Temptation is not going to wreck me. One more principle. Most of us ignore this one. Because honestly, we don't want to do this one. We want to be, we, we do that typical American individualism thing of, I got this. I can handle this. Number five, I need to participate in a support group. You need to be involved in a group of people who can help you. AA supplies that for some people. God bless them. They do. That's the whole point of having a sponsor. Having friends that will help call you, call you out on things. Maybe it's uh, you need to come to church. You realize that the whole concept of having tables isn't so you can eat donuts <laughs> without making a mess? Because that ship sailed. Walk through here some Sunday after church. Tables do not prevent messes. In fact, they make them harder to clean. We put the, we've got the tables set up so you can sit with friends and you have time before church, but we're playing music 30 minutes before church so you can come in and sit down and talk to your friends. That's what we do that for. People that you can talk to, you can say to them, man, I'm really struggling with this. Or you can just say, hey, I need you to pray for me. And they'll say, oh, really, what's going on? And you may say the first time, I really would rather not say right now, but if you'll just pray for me. But that's what the support group is. That's why we have tables. That's the whole purpose of what church is, what small groups are. Listen, if you're in a small group here, great. That's a support group. If you are on a ministry team here and you interact with people who are your friends on those ministry teams, that's your support group too. There's so many ways to do that. It's not just one thing. But I'll tell you what, you can learn to love people and you can develop a friendship with them that has deep trust where you can share with them at the deepest level. I mean, the truth is some of the problems in your life, you're never going to solve on your own or you would have already solved them. You've been trying for years. They're just too big. They're too ingrained. They're too habitual or you've made too many excuses already. Get people around you who are going to encourage you Get a best friend around you that you can share with. Listen, you don't have to have a lot of friends in your life, but you got to have a couple of good ones or you're not going to make it. Watch this from Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because together, if one falls down, the other can do what? Help them up. But if someone is alone and falls, good riddance. It's over. James 5. Admit your faults to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you can be healed. If you don't, understand this, if you don't admit your faults to another human being, if you don't pray for each other, not likely you're going to be healed of it. So now, if you're refusing to do that, you are completely in a self-inflicted problem. Because Scripture lays out how to deal with it. And the fact is, when you hide temptation, hiding temptation only makes it bigger. And the bigger that secret that you're hiding, you've got, you, you want to hide it in a closet, but the reality is this. God calls us, and He tells us, don't conceal it, reveal it. 
Don't repress it. Confess it to someone who can pray for you. Some of you have been carrying your temptation for so long by yourself, you'd really just like to get closure on it. Listen, there is no closure without disclosure. I'm really pithy today, huh? That's because it's a really easy subject. I've been through all this. I've done all this. I'm not talking theoretically, and I'm not talking from a vacuum. It starts by being honest about the things that aren't working in your life and getting help from someone to help make those things work. So what lifelong temptation would you like to break right now? You know what to do. There's five principles. Listen, we've given you a plan. Work the plan. The plan will work. That's the reality. See what I did there? Yeah. Work the plan. The plan will work. You know where the power is. God will give it to you. But it's your decision. There's this wonderful promise we'll close with today in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation that comes your way is beyond what others have had to face. I know your mom, your aunts, and your grandma have always said you're special. But you're not that special. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be tempted past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Other translations actually translate that to say, there's no temptation that'll be too big for you, but what God will provide a means of escape. But you have to watch for the means. You have to watch for it when it comes. Let's pray. Father, so many of us here today have been stuck for so long in, in a rut, the cycle of good intentions and failure and guilt and shame and good intentions and failure and guilt and shame and good intentions and failure and guilt and shame. And Father, you've given us the ability to break free of that today. We get that no matter how much we want it, we'll never be sinless in this life. But Father, I thank you that we can sin less. I thank you that you've given us the ability to recover, to conquer temptation. That, Father, when that urge comes to maybe take a drink, to maybe look at something on the Internet that we shouldn't, to maybe take something that isn't ours, that you've promised us there is an escape. Father, it may, may be just a weird sound that draws our attention. And for a moment there, it's broken and we have a chance to escape and do something else. Maybe it's a knock at the front door. Or maybe it's a, an unexpected call. But Father, we know that that break is there. Lord, when you bring to us that opportunity to, opportunity to escape, Lord, help us to grab it and hang on and escape. Father, guide each of us and through your spirit, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil because you're God you've promised that you'll help us and anything you've promised to help us with we can do Father thank you for this and it's in Jesus name we pray